invite you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. My name's Brad Evans. I'm the pastor of Family and Care Ministries. It's an honor to be with you today to share God's Word. I'm uh, saddened that Brian is not feeling well, uh, but I'm also very grateful to uh, be here. Uh, So, feel like the 12th man a little bit. Got a call, uh, text Friday night from Brian that he wasn't feeling very well. And uh, I thought, oh, he'll, he'll be good, you know. Well, then I got another text yesterday morning saying that he was worse. And he said, you're on. So I went, okay. So I came in here. Uh, wasn't really sure. I know we were looking. I know the theme about the prophecy candle and hope. And so I sat right there in that front pew and I just started praying, Lord, what would you have me share? Where, where do you want me to go? And I, I landed in John chapter 1. And as I spent some time with the Lord personally uh, there yesterday, wow, John 1 is so powerful, so much truth, so much about Christ and who he is. And I just felt like that's where we needed to go today. So it's a little bit different because the prophecy candle is a lot about the past and the Old Testament and the hope that we have to look forward to. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But the main thing I want to talk about this morning is not just that we have to look forward to something, but the hope is here. Jesus is alive. He came, and yes, he was born in Bethlehem in a humble birth in a manger, rose up, became a boy, discipled some men, did a lot of things, performed miracles. He died on a cross. That's why we have a cross up here to remind us that, yeah, we celebrate, we have a tree, we have lights. But that horrible instrument of death, he died on that cross. But he didn't stay there, put in the grave. He rose again. He defeated sin and death triumphantly. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the why of Christmas is because we're broken and sinful and needy and we need a Savior. And God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I do want to look back. I do want to talk about, um, again, this passage in Isaiah that the polling's read. Looking forward, uh, Isaiah prophesying. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. That's who Christ is. God with us. And that's what the incarnation is all about. God becoming man. Didn't stop being God. Still fully God, fully man. Living to point us to God. To reveal God himself. So you see this is future tense. The Lord will give you a sign. And then the other passage that was read. I don't have a slide for that. But in Isaiah 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. So that's our hope. Our hope that they're talking about here, and that's why the prophecy candle is referred to as hope, is that we hope that this will come true. 
Now, I want to draw a distinction between how we use the word hope in our world, in everyday life, and the hope that we have from God. Because the hope that we have is very different. Uh, Let me illustrate. Um, My daughter gave me permission to use her as an example. You always want to ask first, right, before you use her. So uh, we hoped after we got married that we'd have a child, and we had Rachel Joy. And so we were really excited, you know. We hoped for a healthy child. We had one. Thank the Lord. We hoped that she would grow up and mature. And she went to Kingdom Kids here, graduated from Kingdom Kids. Woohoo! That was one of her hopes, get her out of preschool. So she did it. She uh, went on to school, and um, at an early age, she trusted in Jesus Christ. I had the privilege to baptize her here when she was seven years old. What an experience. And then we hoped she would uh, do well in high school, and she graduated from high school. Another milestone, right? And then we hoped she'd get into college. That's always the next thing. Well, she did. She got in this little school next door that has, what, 60,000, 60 million, whatever it is, people. And she got in Texas A&M University, so we're excited. We're Aggie parents. And now we hope she'll uh, pass some classes, right? And she did. She passed some classes, did real well. And last spring, she got a ring. Yeah, you can whoop. It's okay. So Rachel gets a ring, and we're excited parents here. And I can't believe this, but on December 17th, she will graduate. Our hope is she will graduate from Texas A&M University. She's got a few finals to pass, we hope, right? And, uh, but... I'm still putting pressure on her because our hopes don't end there. We hope that she'll get a job. Uh, we hope she'll get married, have kids, we'll have grandkids. You know, all those things. You, you know the hopes we have. The hopes we have for our kids, the hopes we have in life. Those are all very real. Unfortunately, the hope we have in this life is very different from the hope that is provided through God and his word. Because God's hope is a sure thing. We have hope arrived here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what I want to submit to you that the hope that God offers is a sure thing that you can take to the bank. We can have confidence that when God says it, it will come true. God's hope is confidence. It is eternal It is everlasting. It is real. We can have that assurance. Jesus Christ himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? And we need to be reminded of that because in this world, hope is not like that. I mean, I gave you an illustration of my daughter and some amazing things that happened, some hope that was realized. But what I didn't tell you is that our first daughter didn't live to be six months. Elizabeth Grace died She was born with a rare genetic uh, complication. Man, we weren't seeing that one coming. Our hopes were crushed. Hardest thing we've ever gone through, lose a child. If we put hope in this world, we will be disappointed. If you put hope in your health, you're going to be disappointed. Because as the Bible says... The outer man is decaying day by day. The older I get, I realize how that's true, right? 
We have health issues. We have financial issues. Is your hope in the stock market? Is your hope in politics? Is your hope in education? Is your hope in sports? What's your hope in in this world? Unfortunately, I sound like Eeyore here. Anything we put our hope in that is of this world, we are going to be disappointed on some level at some time. That's that's not pessimism, that's reality. That's why we need to cling to the hope that God offers us. Because I suspect, as I prayed here just a minute ago, that some of us here this morning, you know, we had just had Thanksgiving, and isn't that wonderful? But maybe your Thanksgiving wasn't so wonderful. Maybe you had some struggles, you know? Some of those family members that didn't say all those lovely, perfect things like you hoped, or... That Black Friday didn't turn out like you hoped or, or you lost a loved one recently or you find yourself at the holidays where everybody's cheerful and you're discouraged and you're depressed. All those things can lead us to being disillusioned. And we need to go back to something, some bedrock that we can hang on to in life. And unfortunately, this reality is that God has rigged this world so that it won't satisfy us. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Solomon spent his life trying to find pleasure and satisfaction from the things of this world. He did it all. His conclusion was it's just vanity of vanities. It's just emptiness. Because that's all the world has. Now, Yes, there are temporal things, and, and we get great joy, and we can experience things, but if that's all there is, we will be disappointed. Our hope has been promised. That's a prophecy candle. Hope has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. And he will never disappoint us. He will never let us down. And that hope is secure and lasting and eternal like I mentioned. So what I'd like to do is, before we go to John, I want to look at, because Jesus Christ, by his arrival, has fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies. They're all foretelling. It's all in the future. And Jesus Christ, by his birth, by his arrival, by his life, and his death, and his resurrection, fulfilled so many prophecies. God's word is true. And let me just mention a few of them. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. He would be born of a virgin. He would be born from the tribe of Judah, line of Judah on the throne. That's Jesus. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be heir to King David's throne. And that's true. That happened. His incarnation was prophesied. Now, that's a big word, incarnation. What is that? It's not a flower. It's not powdered milk. What is it? Incarnation is Latin for in the flesh. You ever have chili, chili con carne? Carne, flesh. It simply means, whoops, sorry. It simply means that Jesus Christ, at a point in time, 
God entered into humanity in a body, bodily form. Fully God, fully man. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But it was prophesied in Isaiah Isaiah 9-6. It was also prophesied that he would die by crucifixion. That his death would be an atonement for our sin. We all need atonement. We have a holy God. We're sinful. We need to be at one with God. Jesus Christ was our substitute. He died in our place. So that by believing, receiving forgiveness of sins, we can be at one with God and experience atonement. It was prophesied. His resurrection was prophesied. It all came true in the person of Christ. Hope has arrived, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's unpack that. I'd like to go back to John's Gospel in chapter 1. The first 18 verses are really a prologue to the entire book. Um, Matthew was written to the Greeks, uh, I'm sorry, to the Jews. Matthew to the Jews. Uh, Mark to uh, Gentiles, Greek audience. Uh, Luke to Jews and Greeks. And John was written to everyone, for God's loved the world. John writes to all of us. And here we see in the first 18 verses that John really wants us to understand who Jesus Christ is. He's answering the question, is it possible in this human form that this person was just a man? Or is it possible that he was just a prophet? John wants us to see that, yes, he was a man and a good man and a perfect man, but he's also God. We see this from the very beginning in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Does that remind you of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Well, John wants us to know that in the very beginning, Jesus Christ was already there. He was not created. In the beginning was the logos, the word. The word, what John does here, he melds together a couple of Greek and Hebrew concepts. The Greek concept of logos was used by Plato and other philosophers to express the central principle of the universe. The spirit that was over all the world, the ultimate reason that controlled all things. So what John is saying is that this concept is Jesus Christ, and he was in the beginning with God. He is God. In the Hebrew mindset, this is the self-assertion of the divine personality. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And so this is the creative power of God, and here John is using it to describe Jesus Christ as the Word. He's melding together these Greek and Hebrew concepts. To the Greek, this is phenomenal. It's like, oh my gosh, this is impossible that there could be a person that really does this. To the Hebrew, this is blasphemous. You're saying this man is God? Right? And so John wants us to know, no, this isn't blasphemous. The Messiah is here. Jesus was at the beginning with God. He's the Word. He was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus is eternal. Uh, wait a minute. Only God can be eternal. Well, Jesus is God, right? John wants us to get that. Verse 2, he says it again. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Wait a minute. John, you're saying that Jesus was involved in creation? Well, that's what he says. He says it two different ways to make sure we get it. All things came into being by him. And then he says it in the negative, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Only God can create, can be the creator. Jesus was involved in the creation. Jesus is God. And we keep reading in verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In Jesus was life? Oh, wait a minute. Only God can give life. Jesus is God. And this concept is carried out through the book of John. There's several key words. And here we use the word life. It's, it's the Greek word zoe. We get zoology from that. It's used 36 times in the Gospel of John. And Jesus himself describes himself this way. It's one of the seven I am's. I am the way and the truth and the life. And he makes a very exclusive statement. No one comes to the Father but through me. Holy God, sinful man, gulf separating the two. Jesus Christ is the bridge. The only way to God, the only giver of life. And by believing in him, when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we're, as Paul describes it, made alive. The Holy Spirit breathes life into us. John wants us to get that this life, the source of this life, comes from Jesus, who is God. He also talks about the light shining in the darkness, That's another one of the I am's that Jesus said. I am the light of the world. The light of the world. And in John's gospel, darkness and light are in contrast. You have darkness that's evil, sinful. Light representing God, his power, his majesty, his glory. And Jesus brings light to a dark, dark world. Have uh, any of y'all ever been in a really dark place? Or at night, a little scary. Well, I grew up in southwest Missouri, as we call it, Missouri. And have you ever been to Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri? Yeah, fun place. How about Marvel Caverns? Did you go down into Marvel Caverns? Well, I remember as a boy, my grandfather took us to Silver Dollar City, and we went down these steps, these big steps that go way down into the bottom of the, the uh, cavern, the entryway into the cave. And you can look up and you can see a little opening up top where the light shines through. But then this tour guide t- took us through this passageway going deep down into the bowels of the cave. 
And you go way on down there and you know the water's dripping and there's stalactites and mites or whichever way they go. You know what I'm talking about? It's creepy. Well, guess what the guide does when you get way down there in the cave? Turns the lights off. And I remember going, Granddad, I grabbed his leg, you know. Because it's scary, the darkness. Well, then our guide did something pretty cool. He had this little, you know, none of us had cell phones. We didn't have any other way way to turn light on. He had this little pin light. He just turned this little pin light, and this little bitty light lit up the whole place. We're going, cool, okay. Now I see where I are. Now I'm good, right? And that's what the light does. The light brings revelation, and we're able to not only see, but we have security, and Jesus is the light of the world. He brings light to darkness. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is God. He's the light of the world. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Well, our author's John, and he's not referring to himself. He's referring to Christ's cousin, John the Baptist. And by the way, if you ever get asked, uh, you know, you're doing this kind of trivia game, who is the last Old Testament prophet? Who was it? John the Baptist. He's found in the New Testament. Aha. But now you know. Came for a witness, or there came a man sent from God whose name for a John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light. Who's the light? It's referring to Jesus. That all might, now here's a word that John uses 98 times in his gospel. Key words. Key word here. That all might believe through him. He was not, John the Baptist was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. That if we believe in the true light, then we're enlightened in the sense that God brings life to us, brings light to us, and now we're lights. We're to be lights to this world and not hide our light under a bushel basket, but to let our light shine, as Matthew talks about, right? So again, John wants us to understand, and John the Baptist, as the messenger, is a witness, bearing witness of Jesus Christ. There is a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Verse 10. Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, he's not talking about planet Earth here. He's talking about the world as in people. People, they didn't get him. They didn't understand who he was in general. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, he came to his own. Who who was Christ's own? The Jewish people. He came to the Jewish people. And those who are his own did not receive him. Now, some did. But generally, the Jews rejected their own Messiah. They missed him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become part of God's family. Children of God even to those who believe in his name. John wants us to know, wants to make it very clear to his audience that he was writing to a circular letter that we now have today in God's word, inspired by God, using John's personality, but he wants us to know that whoever receives this free gift 
whoever believes in the person of Jesus Christ becomes a child of God. He's part of God's family, and his eternity is secure, has eternal life. He's going to mention this several times here. As many as received him, or whoever trusts in Jesus Christ, to that person they have the right and authority because they are children of God, even to those, whoever believes in his name. Verse 13, who were born, now there's three ways it doesn't happen, not of blood, so we don't become a child of God based on our parents, it's not based by blood. We don't become a child of God nor by the will of the flesh just by trying harder. You know, if I just do it, if, I, if I'm just good enough, if I just do all the right things, no, that's not going to do it. Nor by the will of man, no man can decree for us to become a child of God. So how is it possible? It's but of God. Only God can do this, bring death to life and give us eternal life and bring us into the family of God. Now we come to the passage that we looked at just a minute. Let me back it up here. I think the key verse here in this passage, especially as we're looking at the season we're in now with Christ and, and coming into the word, into the world, and the word, who's that? Jesus, right? The word became flesh. Now he's not using flesh as Paul does, as in sinful, carnal flesh. He's talking about flesh and blood. The word became flesh, and he dwelt, or he tabernacled among us. Now there's a significant shift that happens here. John now shifts to first person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, the unique one, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, referring probably back to the Old Testament concept of God's loyal chesed covenantal love with his people that's unconditional. Christ was full of grace and truth. And so what John's saying is, he's telling us that Jesus is God, but he wants us to know that he has seen him. Not only did, and not just seen him like, hey, hey, Bubba, how you doing back there? It's not just see, seeing him. He has experientially entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows him. He says, we saw his glory. I mean, imagine, this is one of the 12 disciples. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal the leper. They saw him heal the blind man. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him feed the 5,000. And not only those many miracles they did, they saw his compassion, his love for people. They saw the good shepherd desiring to shepherd his flock and care for his flock. And most of all, what I think he's referring to here, we saw his glory, I think they're referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. And here's how it, here's how it may have happened, I don't know, but in the Mount of Transfiguration, I, I like to climb mountains. Joe, Joe and I have climbed a few mountains. I think Jesus said to 
Peter, James, and John. We know those three went up with him. So Peter, James, and John. So he had the 12, but he had these three guys that were really the ones that he had the most intimate relationship, intimate relationship with. So, hey, guys, let's go on a hike. You ready? So they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they got up there, you know what happened? Jesus was transfigured. What does that mean? Well, his appearance completely changed. And they, he was still a man, but they saw God. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were white as snow. And a cloud descended upon them. And there was light in the cloud. And they heard a voice that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That was God the Father speaking. And then God said, listen to him. Would you have listened? Yeah. So you know what Peter, James, and John did? Oh, and by the way, also, they saw Moses and Elijah. They were there too. It was an amazing event, and it really happened. And they were freaked out. They fell on their faces, just like everybody does in the Bible that encounters the glory of God. They were on their faces. They were fearful, trembling. I think this is what John, he's referring to the totality of seeing Jesus' glory, but I think he may be referring back to when you know, he turned on his God suit a little bit and they saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For his fullness we, he's talking about believers, we have all received and grace upon grace. Grace just lavished upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So he pulls out the big stick here, the law, right? The law, no one could keep it. It was just a tutor to remind us that I can't, and no matter how hard I try, I can't keep the law. I need a savior. It's to point us to Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Last verse, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He, referring to Jesus, has explained him. Explained is the word exegete, like we're teaching or exegeting a passage of scripture. Jesus Christ has exegeted God. He, by living and becoming a man, has explained God to us so that we can know God. We can enter into a relationship with God. So we have that bridge to cross between sinful man and a holy God. So hope has arrived. The incarnation reminds us that God understands us completely. So God becoming man, still fully God, fully man, entering into a, a point in time, planet Earth, it reminds us that God understands you and me completely. He knows our needs, he knows our fears, he knows our struggles, he knows our wants, and he knows our greatest need is that God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ's coming, his arrival, reminds us that God understands us completely. He loves us unconditionally. There's nothing we can do to earn his love anymore. And he saves us graciously if we'll just accept his free gift of salvation and say yes 
to him. I don't know when I got this. I got a Christmas card years ago. I saved this. There are many men who would be God, but only one God who would be man. It's Jesus Christ. So what's the purpose of John's gospel? He says this throughout about believing and how important it is that we know Jesus Christ. He sums it up. These have been written so that you, whoever's hearing this, so he's talking about us today too, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, that he is God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Where there's, we're dead in our sins. We believe in Jesus Christ. We accept forgiveness of our sins. The Spirit brings life into us. As Zach talked about the life around that wreath. Jesus is our hope. I mentioned that we can't find hope in this world that will last. Things will disappoint us. I mean, our cars break down. I mean, stuff happens, right? It's frustrating, but... This, we live in a fallen world. We need to get over it. We need to realize that this is a temporal point in time. Eternity is forever. And throughout Scripture, when we read about the person of Christ, we see that he is our hope. And that even through believing, we have a new birth to a living hope. Let me read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God. That's what we have. That hope will never leave us. We are secure in the person of Jesus Christ, eternally secure from the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That hope will never go away. As a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. And I can tell you there is a huge, huge difference when I do a funeral and the family member, the the family was confident that that person had a relationship with Jesus Christ and their eternity is secure and they're with Christ and new resurrection, someday they'll see him again. There's such a marked difference between doing a funeral for somebody where the family knows that person had a relationship with Jesus Christ and then doing a funeral for a person that was lost. Because that's all they know. That's all they have. Such a huge difference. Hope brings security. Hope brings confidence. Hope brings comfort. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. Isn't that wonderful? Hope arrived. At the first Christmas, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that sons of men might become sons of God. Only C.S. Lewis could write something that profound. How do we apply this? Well, first of all, if you're here today and you have never believed in Jesus Christ, have never received his free gift of salvation, let this be the day. Believe in him. I love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Put your own name there. Yes, he loves the whole world, but he loves us individually. For God so loved Brad. For God so loved Jonathan. For God so loved each and every one of you. Believe in him. Receive his free gift of salvation. And secondly, pray for those who don't know him. You know, with the holidays, we're going to be around others. 
family members and, and people that don't know him. It's an opportunity to let our light shine and be bold in being a messenger, being a witness as John the Baptist was. Be bold in sharing the love of Christ to others. It's the greatest way you can love someone is to tell them about Christ, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I also encourage you to do an Advent reading. Um, if you have a phone that will download apps, uh, I have a version app. It's a great Bible app. I have it on my phone. And uh, I think you can get it on your computer too or whatever device you have. And there's different reading plans in this, but there's also some really good Advent reading plans. There's several of them in there. Starting today, today's the first day of Advent, taking you all the way through Christmas. You could do this individually. You could do this as a family. And I know for there are printed versions out there too that you can find too. But uh, just want to encourage you with that. Well, as we close, let's go to the Father and let's give him thanks. In this season of Thanksgiving, Father, we are again are mindful of your goodness. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, and that's certainly true of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we have um, read and we've studied these Old Testament prophecies, we've lit the prophecy candle, which, which represents hope, the promise of hope, We have read from John's gospel, your word, truth, that hope has arrived, that Jesus really came and entered this world in the form of a baby, humbly born in a manger. He was raised up, became a man, discipled others, impacted many lives, but then died a horrible death bore our sins, entered the grave, but three days later, defeated sin and death, triumphantly was resurrected. And he says himself, his own words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. With your eyes still closed, if you have never received the gift of eternal life, if, you have, if you're unsure, I want to invite you to pray a prayer very similar to what I prayed as a nine-year-old boy. I didn't understand all the theology, but with a childlike faith, I trusted in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And it's not the words that save, it's the attitude of your heart being receptive to receive. But these words can guide us. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Would you make me into the person that you've created me to be? And if you just prayed that prayer, you can have all the confidence in the promises of God's word and his character that what just happened through a sincere prayer of faith is your sins were forgiven and you became a child of God and your eternity is secure. The angels rejoice, we rejoice as the family of God. Welcome.
please tell someone. After the service is over, we'll have people here to pray with you, to help you on your journey as you begin a new walk with Christ. But please tell somebody that you trusted Christ today. And for those of us who already know Christ and or for those, any new believers, Lord, we pray that we will be witnesses as Christ or as, as John the Baptist was. We'll be witnesses and we'll let our light shine. And as we lit this candle, that our candle will shine brightly and we'll tell others, not only by our words, but our actions of uh, sharing your love. We love you. We thank you for today. Thank you that we can gather here as your church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you.